There are protests in the street against the judicial overhaul, sharp rebukes from lawmakers, businessmen threatening to take their money elsewhere. The president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, even asked for a pause for reconsideration. But you know who thinks the overhaul isn't all that radical? The member of Knesset who wrote the bills that are being pushed through at light speed, Simcha Rotman. Israel, in the Israeli context, it might be huge. But when I talk about it with my fellows from across the ocean, and I'm telling them what I'm telling you, they say, you're just stating the obvious, Simcha, what are you talking about? Of course, court should never have this power. Whoever thought about this crazy idea to give the court this power to begin with? On Thursday, I, Amanda Borshaldan, made my way through the labyrinth of the Knesset to find Rotman and ask him, why this wrecking ball approach? Rotman, one of the only handful of MKs who was in the building, is clearly one of the most driven lawmakers in the new coalition. He is also in many ways the wizard behind the curtain who is fast-tracking these first points of reform, which include judicial appointments, curbing the Supreme Court's test of reasonability, a slim override clause, and severely limiting the High Court of Justice's ability to strike down basic laws. This week, we hear what matters now to M.K. Simcha Rotman. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachuklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K, lawfirm.com, or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement, and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Chavir Knesset, M.K. Simcha Rotman, thank you so much for allowing me into your room here at the Knesset to speak with you a little bit and let our listeners know what is going on. So from my point of view, I've been in Israel for 25 years, a third of the age of the state of Israel almost. This is a very troubling moment, a divisive moment, a moment of high anxiety. You can, <laughs> you're shaking your head and that's great, but a moment like from my point of view, that I haven't seen since the disengagement. Usually in times of trouble, Israelis come together. But during the disengagement around 2005, we saw protests in the street. We saw all sort of uh, divisive, hateful speech even. And it feels to me that we're here in this moment now. So I'm asking you, what matters now? I think that the first thing that matters now is to say that um, you can't argue with feelings. The media cares about what they see out of their window in Tel Aviv. And that's why in 2011, after the disengagement, they all talked about the social... Uh, the Kaddish cheese protest. Kaddish protest, which was 
nothing to say. I, I'm not trying to, to to deride it. Deride it, but I'm but I do try to put it into proportion. Not a lot of people participated in this event. It was one street in Rach in in, in one area with that at the most you can put. 20,000 people in, but the numbers were were maximized by the media, and everyone was talking about it, because when the people in the media were going out to the streets, to, the, to their favorite coffee place, they saw the tents. But today we see protests in Jerusalem, in Tel Aviv, in no, Haifa. No, we don't see protests. We see very uh, low-key protests. We talk about the protests. We talk about them. Simcha, you've been living, breathing, sleeping, eating the judicial reform for about at least 20 years, probably. And you have a long list of reforms you'd like to do, at least 10 that I've heard about. And we're starting with four here in the Knesset. And two of them are meant to come to some kind of preliminary voting on Monday. Tell us about these two, please. So one of them, I actually find it... Uh Um, it's not one of the, my reforms because I would think it would be um, very straightforward. It's basically enacting what the Knesset uh, constantly told the court. The Supreme Court in Israel has no basis to criticize or to cancel or to even debate uh, basic laws. The, the claim for fame by the Supreme Court to cancel regular Knesset laws was that he was doing it because of a basic law. That was the claim for fame in Banka Mizrahi case. That was the, 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 what, what the court talked about for 30 years. Um, to say that the court cannot cancel basic laws is the equivalent of saying that the court in other country where there is a constitution cannot cancel the constitution or write its own constitution. Now in Israel, we have a court that basically created its own constitution and doing whatever he wants with it. That's a problem that needs to be changed, but I don't see it as a reform. I see it as saying, stating the obvious. But what is the basic law? We don't have a constitution. People say it's quasi-constitutional. You've used your finger quotes on a constitution when talking about these basic laws. What are they to you? Um, I, I hold the legal position, the judicial position, that uh, former, former Chief Justice Shamgar held concerning uh, the basic laws in Israel, meaning the Knesset is like the parliament in Britain or in New Zealand and other countries that are parliamentarian system, Westminster uh, system. Um, and we have a, a parliament that is all-powerful. He can basically decide whatever he wants. That's the system. And that's the quasi-constitution that we do have. And as part of the legislation, he can say this law is more important than that law, but it's all legislators saying and maybe maybe even telling the court this law is more important than this law. That's a regular parliamentarian system. It does not uh, have a constitutional value until it's being form formalized into a constitution. That's what basic laws in Israel, we enact basic laws in Israel the same way we enact regular laws because That's the way the system in Israel was always the case. We call a basic law, whatever law the Knesset wants to call a basic law, hinting to the public, to themselves, to, the, to other branches of government, that this is more important law, whatever that means. So basic law is born the same way as any kind of other regular law, but the Knesset itself says this is a basic law, so court layoff. Is that what you're saying? The court layoff, 
but also sometimes it says court check other law if it goes by the basic law meaning we are when we call a law a basic law depends on what's what's in it sometimes the Knesset tells the court or other branches of government ignore a regular law if it contradicts the basic law the basic law is more is a higher level but we are the, we heard the Knesset we will tell you which law is in the higher level now that's a very common system it happens in all around the world and and the basic law for example if we have a basic law saying that elections must be equal elections any law regular law that has anything to do with election law has to go by this basic law and that's fine that's because we put the basic law of elections on a higher level than the regular laws okay I understand what you're saying there and the second reform that is extremely divisive perhaps even more divisive is the judicial appointments and you have one system that you've come up with and there have been other systems that have been uh, floated including by Justice Minister Yariv Levine but it's your bill that's going for it on Monday correct and It's the committee bill. I am offering the committee to accept my proposal. If the committee will vote for it, then it will pass. And it's a proposal that you've tweaked here and there to include hopefully maybe women. But tell us not that. hopefully maybe <laughs> so, I, I will I will I will explain in a second what's the system today in Israel and what's what's the change. The system in Israel today, the there is a committee of nine that is combined of basically four different groups. Uh, one the biggest group is the judges sitting Supreme Court justices three, three Supreme Court justices two members of the bar meaning five out of the nine are unelected officials today meaning the entirety of the public in Israel is represented as a minority in this committee and two ministers and two Knesset members now usually in the last years, It's one from the coalition one from the opposition but it's not a rule and just recently it did not happen so it's not a rule today so it's it, but usually we can talk about three out of the nine are representative of the government slash coalition slash majority and one is usually representing the minority that's the make of the the committee today I'm offering to take the bar out because I don't think the bar has anything to do with electing judges it's very strange um, so we will still have a committee of nine but it will be three judges three ministers and three Knesset members for the first time in the history of the state of Israel the opposition will get a representation in the basic law I want to make it very clear that you need to have an opposition member in the committee I served as the opposition member member in the committee last Knesset so I definitely understand the importance of the committee and I reject the idea that if you are a minority you are not affecting the process that's not true um, and you have three ministers three Knesset members as we said and three judges but not all of them from the Supreme Court self-appointed it will be the Chief Justice sitting ex officio by his position and two um, ex-judges Um, retired judges that will be uh, chosen together by the minister and the and the Chief Justice it seems to me that the biggest change in your proposal other than having an opposition member enacted into law is that most of the makeup of this committee is coming from From the elected officials from the coalition so this is what people are of course uh, objecting to but why do you think that this is actually a good thing 
I think, and I said, and I actually wrote a book about it uh, called Lama Sha'am Yifcharet HaShoftim, Why Should the People Choose the Judges? That's the situation in almost every democratic country. The fact that people in Israel, or um, some of them, are happy with a system that uh, takes away, as we said, the system today gives the entirety of the public in Israel a minority in the committee, which is unheard of. It's, 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 it's really unheard of um, to, to have this kind of power to unelected officials, to have a self-perpetuating court that's, that's unheard of. Um, and every, almost every other democratic country, the system gives the power to the ruling majority to appoint the judges. I'm talking about, of course, the U.S., um, when, where you have the president and the Senate, and 12 out of the last 15 judges that were elected to the Supreme Court in the U.S. were elected by the same party. The president and the, and the, uh, the Senate majority was the same party. One party chose 12 out of the 15 judges. If you talk about Canada, it's the prime minister that appoints the judges. If you talk about Ireland, if you talk about Sweden, if you talk about Norway, uh, Australia, New Zealand, I can go like that all day. It's either the parliament alone or the executive alone or a combination thereof. That's the, that's the common case. Now, to say that's a strange system gives too much power to the public, to the elected officials. I, I, I really don't understand why should people think that the people in Israel are less capable than the people of Ireland or Sweden or Canada or the U.S. Than to choose their judges. Now, that's one issue. And the answer to the question that I am asking is that some people in Israel are used to the fact that doesn't matter if they win or lose the election, they win the elections. Meaning, it doesn't really matter what people vote on the election day because the real decision-making power is in the court or in the legal advisor that is also elected in some way by the court or in other unelected branches of government in Israel that are elected by the court. If you talk about the power of the chief justice in Israel, just the chief justice, he appoints the head of the public uh, broadcast uh, uh, company. In Israel, the Supreme Court has its own broadcasting uh, group that that appointed by the chief justice. The, the, he appoints, of course, the chief legal advisor. He's the, he's appoint the committee that appoints the chief legal advisor. He, he appoints uh, investigative committees. He appoints... So he's, he's a branch of government, but unelected, unaccountable, self-perpetuating. We have the same people appointing themselves. And I, I'm not even talking about uh, the corruption that comes with so much power, unchecked and unbalanced. I am talking about pure democracy. The people of Israel should have the ability to vote and change what's happening in their own country. Don't you think, though, that once uh, judging becomes a political appointment, there is the tendency of any kind of human who wants to have a job to try and make his elector happy? And so perhaps he's not even paying attention to the purity of the law, but is trying to make the people who will vote for him vote for him. First, show me a system in democratic countries that works like that. That's, that's a valid argument. But if no other country believes that that's happening, that should be the case, then this argument is apparently wrong just by the fact that no other democratic country has a self-perpetuating court. But 
the independence of the court is extremely important. Once you appoint a judge, it should be, and we're not touching this, extremely, extremely hard or almost impossible to kick a judge out of office. Why? Because we want an independent court. We want the judges to abide by the law, and they take an oath when they are being elected and chosen by the president of the state of Israel. Um, um, as they go to, is of course, uh, appointing uh, the people that are elected by this uh, judicial selection committee. He does not have the power to say no, but he appoints them in a, in a very nice event in his house, and they come there and say, we pledge allegiance to the laws of the state of Israel. They are independent. You cannot touch their salary. You can. There are many rules to safeguard the independence of the court. But appointing judges is not one of them because you have to to give uh, the the public in a democratic country to elect the people that hold big power over their heads. That's the idea of a democratic country. There are many ways to reform the judicial appointment. And in in fact, yesterday, I believe it was uh, M.K. Yulia Malinovsky, I think is her last name, do you <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong? No, that's her name. Yeah, okay. but, um, but she had a proposal, perhaps not a good proposal, but are you open to hearing other proposals? We talked about her proposal and proposal like hers in the committee. I am willing to accept any proposal if this um, principle that I talked about is present. If the public in Israel can appoint the judges through its elected officials, I'm fine. If it's a uh, smoke screen that is intended to keep the power away from the public, I will object to it. I'm I'm not in love with my ideas. As you mentioned, there is a Levine proposal, which is different than mine. My proposal changed over the course of the last uh, um, two, three weeks when we spoke about in the committee. Um, You said about the women uh, the the legal advisor of the Knesset said that because in the basic offer it was three positions from the Knesset ex officio by their position, heads of the committee, she asked what will happen if none of those positions will be taken by a woman. Then you will not have a representation of a woman from the parliament. And you will... So I said, okay, so good idea. Let's, let's change. And only one position will be ex officio and the other two will be elected by the oppositions. The opposi- one will be from the opposition, one will be from the coalition. The opposition will choose their own representative. The coalition will choose in a different way. Through the speaker. Through the speaker. Excellent. We are open to changes. Mm-hmm. We are open to ne- negotiation. We're open to, to good ideas. We will not compromise on the general idea saying the public should have the last call who, uh, we, who will be the judges. That we won't compromise because that's the essence of, of the... Uh, that's not a compromise to tell me, take away your position, your offer and throw it and we'll do something else. That's not a compromise. That's saying we were objecting to the which is excellent. A position is good for to oppose, but they can also oppose to a part and not to oppose to the grand idea. And then we can talk if they say, we object the fact that you are in government and we object the fact that you are trying to give the power to the public. Now, when you look at it a little bit deeper, it's not a distrust in what I do. Because what I do, I did not say from now on, Simcha Rathman will appoint judges. That's not my point. I said the majority 
do you think it, if they object to that, what it's either that they think that they will never be in power again, because I'm not offering to change all the Supreme Court, even if this government will stay for four years, full four years, we will appoint only four out of the 15 judges that are in Supreme Court today. So what they actually say, we don't believe that we will ever be in power. We will ever be in the coalition and we want to keep the power that we have today, even though we are not elected and we are not going to be elected. Now, I don't think so. I think that Yulia Malinovsky has chances to be in government in the next decade or two decades of the state of Israel, not less than me. I think we are an equal there is equal opportunities that she will be in coalition and I will be in coalition. I am building a system that will give her, when she is in power, the same opportunity I want for myself. I'm not trying to change the rules of the game to get some more power to myself. So either, either that, they don't believe they will ever get in power, or they say, we are not trustworthy, don't trust us, we don't want power to ourselves, take the power away from the elected officials and give it to some dictatorship. To that, I object. We don't trust you, is what they're saying, not no, us. No, because I, because if it was only me, then they would say, okay, so the coalition will have the power. This coalition will appoint four out of the 50. Next coalition, we will be in power. We will appoint don't three or four. us as members as of As members of Knesset. They don't trust elected officials. Actually, they don't trust the public. Actually, they think that the public in Israel is stupid or incapable of dealing with their own issues. That's, and that's undemocratic spirit that I am against. And I'm, it's on there, it's open. Some people tell me, oh, it's a smokescreen. You want the coalition to appoint judges. I said, that's not a smokescreen. I am saying out loud, I want the coalition to appoint judges because I want the people have the ability to appoint the judges. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I've found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like, my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their, like, blankie. 
their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. You, as we said earlier, have been living, breathing, dreaming of this for so long. The public perhaps didn't quite pay attention to your list of 10 steps for a stronger democracy and all sorts of other things that you've had in the past uh, years coming forward. So the question is, why so fast? Why, why the wrecking ball approach? No wrecking ball, no fast. It's not fast. The last coalition was passing way more basic laws and, and, and changes in the system in the first two months of the government than us. Most of them were never campaigned on. Not, people do not talk about it. I, uh, it's not so fast because in the coalition agreements in 2015 and in 2019, in the government that never happened, that was already ready to be signed and then Lieberman crossed the, 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 to the other side, <laughs> crossed to the other side, not to say double-crossed, um, <laughs> Um, and then, and then, and but the coalition agreement in 2015, in 2019, included override clause um, in the 61 majority. The Knesset, last Knesset, has passed in a preliminary reading in the Knesset a basic law proposal to enact override clause. For I, 70, though, right? Isn't no, it? no, 61. 61. And I took took the language of the of the law that was passed in May 2021 by a majority in the Knesset, including people that today are in the opposition, like Gideon Saar and Zev Elkin and Matan Kahana and Sharon Eskel and Ifat Shashabitan, that they voted on that. I took this same language and put in my proposal, not because I believe that's the truth, because I wanted to try to get to a compromise to a wider... It, it didn't help me, because it's not about the matter. It's about the fact that they are not in power, therefore nothing that we can do will be better, will be good for them. I respect the I respect the democratic process. They chose to object to anything that this government offers, their problem. But when you talk about reality and talk about the plan and what people knew and what people were talking about, for uh, this is on the table then for, for almost a decade, the same plan. Okay, so talking about what's on the table, Mamash, actually. We have the two that are coming up on Monday, which we already discussed. The override clause you're talking about now, but it's separated off. It's been... The override will be on Wednesday in the plenum. It's going to the government um, um, cabinet committee for legislation on Sunday. Uh, My my bill, my private bill. Again, it's a copy, the same copy of the bill that was passed last night in preliminary reading. I'm not making anything up. It's the same the same bill exactly. And the fourth item? The fourth item is the reasonability. The fact that in Israel, unlike any other country, again, in the world, the court can interfere in any government action, not because it's hurting human rights, which is a different issue. That's one thing. Not because it did not go in the right procedure or against any law, not because you didn't have a hearing or you didn't have the ability to uh, do process. Everything was fine. All the dots are co- excellent. But the court says, we don't like the outcome. We don't think it's reasonable. 
we're canceling. So you, they, the court can appoint and fire anyone they want in government. That's not a power any court should have. The court can decide on policy issues because he doesn't like the policy based on nothing because there is no jurisprudence on that. It's what the court likes or not. That's not a rule of law. That's a rule of lawyers and judges. And that needs to be changed. There is no other country on that. Now, the thing that I put forward in my bill is to enact what uh, sitting justice wrote in articles and wrote in his opinions in court saying this reasonability uh, way to cancel government action should not apply to elected officials. You can do it if you want, if you think that some low-level uh, government uh, executive um, decided something that is unreasonable, okay, so change it, not a problem. But when you talk about elected officials, that's a democratic problem. That's why he's offering not to use this power on elected officials. I'm all for it, and I'm trying to legislate it. Again, very reasonable, very moderate, nothing to... Now, I'm, I'm a politician. Of course, my uh, uh, motive is to tell you, I am changing Israel upside down. Israel will never be the same again. It's, uh, it's But it could be true, actually. No, but I'm saying, no, it's a moderate change. It's huge in Israeli terms because Israel in such is in such a bad place considering the court trust, the, tr the public trust in the courts and the court taking power it shouldn't have and self-appointed. So in Israel, in the Israeli context, it might be huge. But when, you, when I talk about it with my fellows from across the ocean and I'm telling them what I'm changing, they say, you're just stating the obvious, Simcha. What are you talking about? Of course, court should never have this power. Whoever thought about this crazy idea to give the court this power to begin with? So, so what I'm saying is, it's huge in Israeli terms when you talk about it in a comparative uh, constitutional law it's okay. Nice. So Monday, we're also marking five years to the BB trials, to the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's cases that were open. Many of people who are criticizing your moves are saying, this is just the perfect opportunity to get them through because they can, in a very practical way, be used to help our Prime Minister. What do you say to that? Um, in all the four issues that we talked about, I don't see anything that's connected even remotely to Netanyahu's trial. Um, I, I don't. I don't see a connection. Um, I'm not touching um, as as of now, and as uh, and not even in the plan to touch um, the the criminal procedure concerning Netanyahu. We did say that some of the. Um, criminal offenses that Netanyahu is, um, was charged with. It's a shame to have them in our law books. Many other countries cancel them, like the breach of trust. It's in Israel, in Israel terms, there is a misconduct in public office, as that's the term in Australia or in Britain, which basically gives the court and the legal advisor the ability to uh, indict anyone they want on anything and just try to stick something on them. It's, it's, it's a bad law. The criticism of this law uh, started way before Netanyahu's cases. And it was, if, if, if you want something of um, personal motive, the personal motive is all the people that wrote 
articles and op-eds against this issue when it was owner trials or something like that. And now because it's Netanyahu, they say, no, 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 don't change it. So if there is some kind of change, it's on the other side. But as you mentioned, I am involved in this issue for 10 years as since I started Meshilut, the Israeli Movement for Governability and Democracy. I it was uh, um, uh, thinking about it and talking about it in earlier stages of my professional lives, but 10 years, like that's, my, that's what I do. Netanyahu cases, as you said, five years, I think it's less, I think it's four, but it doesn't matter. I'm not offering anything new because of Netanyahu cases. I am not trying to change the system uh, because of Netanyahu cases. I wrote about those issues before Netanyahu was indicted. I was dealing with those issues way before, the same way Yariv Levin, the same way other people. So again, I think the people, and, and, and it's the other way around. Yair Lapid, the head of the opposition, he said, you have to split the powers of the chief legal advisor, but you don't do it now because of Netanyahu cases. So it's the personal motive and the political motive of the people who object to it. Without Netanyahu's trial, without Netanyahu in power, I would have 90 Knesset members support the positions even more because that's what true and right for any other country around the world. Um, sadly, that's the way politics works. People are, maybe some people support what I do because of Netanyahu. Maybe some people object to what I do because of Netanyahu. Uh, I I am in this business way before and I'm probably going to be in it way after. So, okay, final question for you. Final question for you. I'm listening to you and it sounds like patches upon patches upon patches of legal fixes for a principled problem in that we have no constitution, no way that has already defined all the things that the court can do, that the Knesset should do, etc., etc. Do you feel like perhaps we're coming to a precipice where it could be a constitutional moment? The president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, of course, already asked for a pause. Let's stop. Let's think. Let's readdress. Let's have a moment here. Is this possibly the moment? I think that um, Israel had few constitutional moments in the past. And I think uh, that we cannot have any moment to talk, to think, to speak, to negotiate, to agree, if we don't have the certainty that what we will decide, that will be the case. You need to trust the system in order to compromise, in order to get to an understanding. If, uh, if, I w- if you would try to, you and I, not many people, let's try, say, let's sit, let's do a draft of a constitution for the state of Israel. So we, you will say that, I will say that. I don't know exactly what your position on religion and state, and you don't know what exactly my points on free market. doesn't matter. We'll talk about the issues, all different kinds, and we'll get to some kind of agreement. It will be nice. It will be meaningless because, okay, nothing will happen. When you have a constitutional moment, you want to sit and talk, and to know that whatever you decide at the end, whatever you draft, that would be the case. In Israel, because of the act of the court, uh, after the, the passing of the basic law, human, human rights and dignity, uh, human freedom and dignity, and, and, and the freedom of occupation in 1992, that were not, there were other, plan, other laws to be planned to pass after that. 
but it stopped. And the reason that it stopped because that the people and the politicians saw the court um, basically hijacking the constitution, meaning the head of the constitution committee for that time, Oyelin, said specifically, I took out, he was in the committee and he said that. He said, the justice ministry put in the draft basic law then the ability of the court to cancel laws. The, they put the equality clause inside the basic law. I took two of the, those out because I knew that if they will stay in, I wouldn't get to an agreement. Meaning, to get to have a basic law with human rights, dignity, bill of some kind of bill of rights in Israel, the, something had to go and to come. The, part of the political compromise was to take out the judicial review and to take out the equality because of the judicial review. Again, the, the, the problem of a constitution in Israel was the court, because they said, we know what we mean when you say equality, we don't know what the court will do with it, let's put it outside. And that was the basis of the agreement to pass the basic law to start with. And then the court said, oh, okay, you didn't give me the power to, for judicial review, you didn't give me the power to check laws based on equality, I will do it anyway. Why would I ever agree to give any other power to the court if he misused whatever I gave him and 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 took up and took what the Knesset trying to enact quasi constitutional law or whatever if if there is no trust that what I write that what would be the case that the court will respect the constitution and the compromises that must come with it you can't have a constitution without compromise. Why would I compromise? Why, do I, why would I talk? Why do I try to create a constitution? So the first step in ever trying to make constitution, half a constitution, procedural constitution in Israel is the trust of the people that whatever they decide will be respected by the court and by the other branches of government. We're so far away from that day and there is one person to blame, Aaron Barak, on that. So just to super end with, in 2015, Aaron Barak was asked, what will happen if the government says one thing and the court says something else? And he said something along the lines of, it will be decided by the tanks. What do you think of that? And are we close to that? I think that the second he said that he should have uh, uh, be sentenced and jailed. That's not a sentence you say in a democratic country. Um, or, or at all. But could it be just a that's not fact? A sentence, that's not a sentence to say. And the fact that the Chief Justice, the former Chief Justice of the State of Israel, spoke like that, show you how far away he is from understanding what democracy is. If you say that the court can send the tanks on the elected government, then you don't understand not what the role of the court is, not what the role of the tanks, and not what the state of Israel is. You, and, and I am terrified and deeply troubled by the fact that this guy is the, was the chief justice and the justice and the chief legal advisor for so many years. That explains a lot. This sentence explains a lot. No other person that grew in a democratic country and understand the basic fundamental ideas of democracy would ever think like that, not to say speak like that. 
And the fact that he talked about tanks, that's terrible. Terrible. And, and I think that any person with conscience should say, should, if there is any debate on what democracy is, I don't know what's my position, but I will make sure to check what Aaron Barak position and be, be sure that I'm as far as I can from this position. He doesn't know the first letter of democracy. Simcha Rotman, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What Matters Now. Special thanks to my colleagues, Carrie Keller-Lynn and Jeremy Sharon, who helped me prepare for this conversation with Simcha Rotman. Thanks, as always, to my podcast partner in crime, Jessica Steinberg, and our producer, Gilad Brownstein. And of course, a big hoda to our guru, Mick Weinstein. If you like this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to What Matters Now wherever you find your podcasts.